0: This week on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast, eight-time NBA All-Star and three-time Defensive Player of the Year, Dwight Howard. The former number one overall draft pick shares his philosophical outlook on the many lessons learned during his ascension to and through stardom.
1: In order for you to live a healthy life, you can't eat no more Snickers. you got to fight that feeling every day. It's the same thing with your ego. You gotta fight yourself every day.
0: I sat down with Howard in 2019 at his beautiful 35,000 square foot, 15 acre sanctuary outside of Atlanta. I can't believe I have a, a home like this. He lets us into the many aspects of his life off the court, including his passion for acting and production, plus his world as a father to five children.
1: Just for your, for your daughter or your son, just to say I love you, Dad. Like that's that's bigger than life. It's better than me dunking the ball a million times. He also
0: discusses his tumultuous career path, including a much publicized fallout with the late Kobe Bryant.
1: I was upset that he would do that because I would expect, you know, him to, you know, just protect, you know, his teammate.
0: But first, we begin by talking about Howard's diet, which is especially interesting as the changes in his food choices coincide with other decisions to curb an appetite for indulgence, which we'll get into later. I wanted to start off by talking about your diet because you're Mm -hmm. obviously in incredible shape. You've lost a a bunch of weight and I hear you have this absurd, very strict diet. But before we get to that, I Mm -hmm. wanna go back to earlier days in
1: the NBA when it wasn't as good? I used to eat a lot of candy. Um, just coming from the South, uh, my granddad, uh, when we went to go visit him, he would give us a big pack, like a 10-pack of, like, the fun size Snickers and Baby Ruth and stuff like that. And that's why I just developed that, like, sweet tooth. And then uh, as I got older, it just kept going. I just started to love Skittles, and all I wanted was Skittles, Skittles, Skittles and Starburst, and, and then I just, you know, I couldn't stop. And then I fell in love with Honey Buns. <laughs> and I would eat like at least four or five of them a day, maybe more, just heat them up and have some ice cold water with it. It was so good. And this is like, you're an NBA player. Oh yeah, yeah, my routine one one season was McDonald's before every game. And my what, teammates what wanted to get? Me, I would get uh, two double cheeseburgers, a large fry, a small fry, (laughs) a strawberry chocolate milkshake and a large Coke and go have like the best game of my life. So I was like, I gotta keep this up, it's working. (laughs) Then I got older and I was like, nah,
0: (laughs) this is not right. And could you feel that, the food was having a different impact on you when you got older, or you were just more conscious of No, I was just more and-
1: conscious, you know what I'm saying, and want to just stay fit, you know, for um, looking ahead, you know. Because um, I think all of us love eating, you know, like Chick-fil-A now, even though that's not like, they don't say it's fast food or it's not healthy. I hear you have a thing for their fries. Oh, my goodness. Chick-fil-A has the best fries. I never had nothing like it. My kids love it. I, it's like... And it's right up the street from my house, and it's like, I can't go there no more, and I'm so mad, <laughs> but it's good. So why decide recently to mm-hmm. lose weight? The, the NBA is, is way different you know, than when I first came in. Uh, I came in at the, the weight where I'm almost at right now, which is crazy, but uh, back then, you needed to be really big and be able to move guys. And when I first came in, I wasn't able to do that because I wasn't strong enough. And so I decided, well, I'm just gonna eat meat, potatoes, and do a whole bunch of uh, uh, exercise in the weight room and try to get as big as I can. And um, I did that for a couple years and I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but you know, it just felt like I was getting slower. Um, so I had to change Because you were diet. getting heavier. Yeah, I was getting heavier. And the heaviest I, uh, I've been in my career was like 280. And even though it looked good, like I was swole and walking around, I couldn't touch my my back. So I was like, this is this is a no-no, I gotta change this. How did that affect the game? Uh, well, just like when I was shooting and stuff like that, I couldn't really follow through because I was just too big, you know what I'm saying? So I just had to change all that up.
0: And how does the Shape Your Bodies and now better work for today's game?
1: Well, it's more of a up and down game. Uh, more guys are out at the three-point line. It used to be uh, four out, one in, or now it's all five. Everybody's out. They want to keep the paint clear. Uh, So you have to adjust. And I know I can keep up as far as running and things like that, but I got to make sure that my body is in the right type of shape. Uh, So I had to lose a lot of weight. How much weight did you lose? I was 277. And now I'm 249. So, how do you go about doing that? Uh, Well, I fasted. uh, And
0: tell me about this fast, because this was a month-long fast.
1: Yes, it was a month-long fast. Uh, It wasn't that hard. Uh, I would just only have one meal a day, uh, do a lot of running, conditioning, stuff like that, and eat a lot of green apples. Why green apples? They said that it helps flush your body out. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. When would you typically have the meal? Probably around like 7.45, 8 o'clock.
0: So you wouldn't eat all day until yep. 7.45, or that's, you could after have an three apple. three
1: workouts, I'd have like two apples, and that's it. I mean, you had to be starving. I wasn't. It was just all discipline. It was really more mental than um, than anything. It helped me see things better. I was able to make better decisions uh, as far as working out. Wait, how, how were you able to make better decisions? It just I, was, I had more clarity, you know what I'm saying? So uh, when things happened in business and stuff like that, I was able to really see what was going on and take myself out of the picture because I didn't have none of those toxins and things in my body that could cloud my mind. So it really helped out.
0: So I wanted to to run through a handful of like notable moments from your career and um, get you to kind of recall the moment. What comes to mind? Okay. Um, The first one being your final high school basketball game.
1: Man, that was like sixteen years ago. Dang that it was it was it was emotional, very emotional, Um, because I knew at that point. I wasn't going to be a kid no more. And I was like, man, I enjoyed this. Like, uh, you can ask any one of my teammates, you know, in high school. I never talked about going to the NBA. Um, I never even tried to talk about basketball with my teammates. You know, we tried to just enjoy being in high school. And uh, the last game. I remember after uh, the buzzer coach crying and it made me cry. And I was like, man, this feels so good, man. I wish everyone can, you know, feel this, like this, the state that we were in, like all of us were just full of emotions because we had tried for three years and we never succeeded. And uh, the, the year before we won it, we lost in the championship. And our coach made me and one of my teammates sit and watch the other team celebrate. It was the worst thing in the world. I'm like, why were you torturing us like this? And uh, what it did was just give us motivation. And even you get a little emotional almost now. Yeah, uh, just thinking about it. it Because like it was, I mean, I was a kid, you know, and I'm like, man, I really want to win. And I just remember like just sacrificing whatever I had to sacrifice to win, so it felt pretty good. The
0: NBA draft and your name being called as the first overall pick by Commissioner David Stern. Describe that moment.
1: Oh, man. Uh, Your dad almost busted the table too. My dad went crazy. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, man, I want to go number one. This is my dream. I had wrote it down uh, as one of my goals and I placed it on top of my bed. And I just looked at it every day. Like, I want to be the number one pick. I'm going to be the number one pick. And I was so nervous on draft night. And I was like, man, what if they don't pick me, man? I'm going to feel bad. And uh, right before uh, David Stern came out, uh, I think his name was Melvin Eli. He said, you going number one, bro. And I was like, nah, you lying. He was like, I promise you, man, just go be great. And I was like, dang, I." And, and then my agent said, when they call your name, uh, give, your, give your mom a kiss and give your dad a hug and go shake David's third hand. So uh, they call my name and my dad jumps up and he just pounds the table, boom! Looking at him like, man, that man crazy. And my mom was <laughs> like, oh my God. I thought she was about to faint. And I was like, yo, this is an awesome experience. And, get up on stage and I shake David Stern hand. I'm like, well, here's the journey, it's about to start right now. It was an unbelievable feeling. Your dad says his
0: favorite moment from your career is your first game, um, but not even the game, just watching you run through the tunnel. Um, oh, wow. What do you remember
1: from that? It was different from high school. I was so used to guys getting what we call crunk, like happy, excited, or like, amped up to play, like in high school, we had a clap, you know, we'll push each other around. And I'm getting with these uh, old men, or older guys, and they're just like, yeah, you ready to hoop? I'm like, y'all ain't gonna clap, y'all ain't gonna like bump chests or do anything. It was just like, it was a whole different atmosphere. And I didn't know how to adjust to it because for my whole high school career, we literally, before the game started, we was already tired. Cause we was jumping around, was clapping, <laughs> was rapping to each other. Like the first quarter sometimes was really bad for us, but it was way different. It, it, you know, guys were just, you know, like in a zone. And, and this was before first, even one and before, done. So you yeah, went literally high school I, I didn't to know. NBA. And yeah. I hated to lose. So I would cry after all the games that we lost. <laughs> and they'd be like, yo, we got another game in two days, bro. Don't cry no more. So it was like oh, a you Oh, like in front of your teammates? I crying? would be crying because I was like, man, we lost. Like, I'd be so pissed because I didn't want to lose. And they said, young fella, it's okay. We got another game in two days. So I had to learn that too. <laughs> the Superman
0: NBA All-Star Dunk Contest.
1: Ah, oh, man, that was... That was uh, like the one of the craziest moments of my life. Uh, Starting from being in Orlando trying to figure out what I'm gonna do for the dunk contest because I practiced dunks and I was like, man, I don't don't know. Do you feel pressure coming into a situation like that? No, I was just like, man, I got all these dunks that I wanna do, but I gotta make sure like I have an order. Like I literally practiced every dunk that I did in a dunk contest two years before the dunk contest. The only (laughs) one was a Superman dunk where uh, my teammates actually told me to do it. So Carlos Arroyo, he said, "You should put on a cape and fly like Superman." And then it was like, "Man, you are Superman. You might as well do it." So I didn't know where to get a cape from the night before the uh, dunk contest. Oh, you made this decision
0: the night before.
1: Yes. Okay. So we're in New Orleans. Uh, my manager, he goes to a party store and he comes back with this full Superman outfit, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, this is the only one we could find." I was like, man, I can't wear spandex and everything out there to do a dunk <laughs> contest. So we had to cut, cut it up and like, it was like a onesie. So if you go look at the pictures, that's why it looked like it's so tight, it was a onesie. And- uh, How did they even make a onesie big enough for you? It wasn't a onesie, but we had to transform it into one <laughs> for me to do the dunk contest. Uh, so, man, I just remember like it was yesterday, uh, the Superman dunk, uh, put the tape down. And I kind of like got my shoulders ready. And uh, when I took off and made the dunk, it was just like, it was unbelievable. I had missed jumping up and chest bumping my teammate because I was so happy. It was crazy. Like every everywhere I went after that, it was, hey, Superman. Hey, Superman. Hey. So I was like, yo, this is
0: tight. So uh, conference finals, mm-hmm. uh, you and the Magic are playing LeBron and the Cavs. You and the Magic basically been written off before the series even oh, starts. Yeah. Take me to Game Six.
1: We wasn't afraid. Um, I think everybody had already wanted to see Kobe and LeBron in, in the finals, so they had already had their little puppet um, commercials going, where it was Kobe and LeBron, and I don't know if you remember back then, they had the, like these puppets that were supposed to be one was Kobe, one was LeBron. And they just written us off. And our team was very upset after seeing these commercials because they already had finals commercials. Like legitimately upset? Legitimate, yeah. So we really was like, it's go time. And we wanted to destroy the Cavs every single game. It didn't matter if they was up by 20, up by 15. At any point in the game, we knew that we were going to beat them. And that last game, it was just like, we're not losing. Game six, we're not going back to Cleveland. We're not losing, we're finna dominate. And it was an amazing game.
0: To what extent was there any one moment from that series going up against LeBron that
1: you most recall? Well, it was a moment where he was about to shoot a three and I was chasing him down and I blocked him. and. They call a foul, and the whole arena went crazy because we looked at it on the replay. I literally jumped over and just grabbed, like hit the ball, never touched him. And like that moment right there was like, man, this is our chance. It doesn't matter what anybody does. We're going to win this series. I want to go back uh, even more and talk to you about uh,
0: family and your parents, your mom played uh, college basketball, your dad was a Georgia State Trooper, was the athletic director of where Correct. you went to high school. Um, pregnancies for you and your siblings were tough to say the least. Mm-hmm. What do you know uh, about what went on in that front?
1: Oh uh, Man, my dad would tell the story every couple days that when we got in trouble or something. Hey, Dwight, now let me talk to you. See, your mom, your mom, she lost seven kids. And then you came. And man, we were so hurt that we lost all these kids. And she was just so excited to have her baby being born. And she called you her miracle child. And I'm like, dang. So it, it, was, it was pretty tough hearing that, but I was like, man, we gotta try to make up for whatever they feel that they lost with just how we, we treat people, how we treat ourselves, and how we respect our, our, our parents. So I just tried to give my parents and you know my family the best of me every single day, um, just to tell them thank you uh, for just, for me being here, you know. Uh, I know it was tough for my mom. You know, my dad said she was on bare rest almost the whole time that, you know, she was pregnant with me. And, and why? Um, uh, she was afraid to lose another child. You know, she had lost some in some really bad ways. And uh she didn't want me to she didn't want to lose me. And I was a preemie. Like by two months, right? hmm It was crazy.
0: Yeah, I, when I read that I'm like, how does? It, yeah, like, I don't know what happened. To to I don't know. I'm the
1: tallest person ever in my family, so it's like it's crazy.
0: Yeah, and you have, I believe, an older sister, younger mm-hmm. brother. Um, your mom and dad have r- been together. They've been together. Um, how uncommon was that uh, uh, among
1: kind of your friends growing up? The great thing about it back then is that, you know, everything was family orientated. You know, uh, we did everything together, you know, and that's kind of where we got, we got our foundation, you know, from being at, you know, our school, uh, the church that we went to you know, so we got a lot of help and a lot of guidance from you know Just every parent. I think my my parents they they put us in the right situations, and I appreciate that uh, My mom she started out in the court system, you know working at the courts. She was a court clerk. Oh really and uh, we would go up there every day and uh, You know I would see a lot of the, you know the people who had you know, made some bad decisions. So they had to, you know, go to jail and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want my mom to, you know, have that type of, you know, hurt of seeing, you know, her child, you know, go down that path. So I, I just tried to really just stay focused and lock in on, you know, what I want to do in my life.
0: What impresses you about the effort your parents put in to provide for you and your siblings?
1: It's just that they never stop working. You know, no matter what the situation is, no matter what they had going on, you know, my parents, you know, continue to work, continue to, you know, try to inspire us and motivate us by by the work that they were putting in every day. My dad being, you know, a cop, which is a very strenuous job, uh, and the amount of hate that he received, you know, from just just people that, you know, would see him in a cop car. You know, I had opportunity to ride with him a lot in a car and I could just feel and see how people, you know, they, they hated the fact that, uh, you know, he was a cop. What what would they do? Or what would they say? Just uh, shoot birds at the car, you know, cuss, cuss at him or whatever. And I'm like, man, my dad ain't never did nothing to none of these people. He's just doing his job. What did he say to you about it when it was going on at the time? Uh, he just told me not to focus on it. Continue to stay locked in on, you know, my destiny and, and what I want to be in my life. What do you think you learned from them? I would say with my dad, you know, just perseverance. You know, uh being a cop is very hard. And uh, I didn't realize how hard it was until I started riding with him and I got a little bit older. And, you know, just dealing with people and emotions and how high and how tempers can flare when, when a cop pulls you over. Uh, just seeing all that stuff, you know, talking to my dad about it, you know, just surviving those different situations, you know, that's, that's pretty tough. And, uh, you know, with my mom. You get I'm your saying, emotion from her, right? I, I do, uh, but I understand, you know, um, losing seven kids can really make you emotional. And a lot of time, ta- a lot of times, I think um, the kid usually en- ends up being how that mom was during that time of pregnancy, and she was very emotional. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty emotional. Uh, I've cried a lot during movies, basketball games. Wait, what movies? What movies have I cried in? Oh man, um,
0: don't say like Finding Nemo or something. I did. No, you didn't. Yeah.
1: I cried the first time because it was a scene where um, Nemo had just found his dad again. And so it was like, it it was emotional because it's like he he was lost in the ocean and his dad is looking for him all over the place. He went through all types of, you know, sharks. He fought sharks. Uh, There's a little fish that had one little light. Then he had an annoying friend who wouldn't stop talking, but she forgot everything they talked about to find to find his son. I was like, man, that's good, and I cried. <laughs> uh, but the Notebook, uh, that was a tearjerker. But then it's a new movie with uh, Lady Gaga, and at the end she sang a song, and I was like, uh, she's good. Yes, yeah, so I I have times where I'm emotional.
0: The area you grew up in. Uh,
1: how would you describe it? Really tough, really rough uh, area. Uh, I think the, the only protection I had was that my dad had his cop car, you know, so guys, people knew that, you know, my dad was a cop, but I really didn't have any problems because I had the only basketball goal in the, in the area. So a lot of people would come over and play. And that's kind of how I learned how to really just, you know, play basketball, I was playing against older people every day. And even though I was the shortest one, I just tried to play as hard as I can and just dominate in what ways was the neighborhood rough oh man it's gang infested uh drug infested um it's a a lot better now uh like what do you remember seeing back then just hearing a lot of sirens uh gunshots uh a lot of fights you know we stayed like around a lot of uh, a lot of apartment complexes and uh you know, my parents didn't want us to really get involved in anything, so we couldn't even really walk down the street to the gas station, because it was very, it was a very bad area. And uh, they kind of kept us protected.
0: Why will you occasionally, or at least why would you used to occasionally drive back to College Park? I still and, do. And you'll let your like car idle out front of the lot where your childhood home used to be?
1: Just because I, I just, just want to see You know, where I came from, you know, the foundation, you know, the house is not there no more. Uh, But every time I go or even think about it, you know, I could just see and picture all the things we did as kids and, you know, how it's helped me get to where I'm at. You know, Uh, I didn't have a TV to watch, so I couldn't watch a lot of basketball. Uh, But what I did have was a Magic Johnson uh, workout tape. And uh, I looked at that, and then I would go outside and work on drills. This is before we even had a basketball goal. Uh, We just do drills all day, me and my brother. And that's how I learned how to play. What do
0: you remember from 10, 11 years old telling your dad you wanted to be in the NBA? I remember
1: uh, we had an AAU tournament, and I want to say it was either in North Carolina or Florida. and after the AAU tournament, I sat down with my dad, and I told him, I said, I think I can make it to the NBA. And he said, why you say that? I said, because I really feel like I'm the best. And he said, well, if you really feel that way, you want to go to the NBA, you got to sacrifice. And you know, I said, you know what, I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes. And um, that's what I did. Every day I worked on my game, every day, I worked on my conditioning, every day I did something to get better. And then I had a situation where I kind of got out of my character and I actually had to pay for it. I, I broke my leg. How did that happen? I was going up the dunk in practice one day and uh, came down and it popped and it swole up. And when it happened, uh, the girls that I thought liked me stopped talking to me uh the the coaches and teams that I thought wanted me to go to college when I got a little bit older they stopped calling and I just saw a whole different like a complete shift like people was like oh he's not going to make it so let's leave him alone and I promised myself after that I would never change I will always stay humble Uh, no matter what the situation is no matter what I have I would never boast or brag or talk about that stuff because you know, it could all be taken away just like that. How old were you at the time? I was 15. How how did that make you
0: feel at the time when all these people that seemed interested in you It hurt.
1: It it really hurt. Um, But it it taught me a valuable lesson. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, just always stay humble. And uh, that's the, the lesson that I really try to, you know, teach my kids. You know, be humble no matter what's going on.
0: What, if anything, do you remember your parents saying to you, during that
1: tough time? Uh, well, I didn't express to them how tough it was. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't. Did you tell anybody? No. Why not? Uh, because I didn't want nobody to think I was weak. So I just kept it to myself. And it really bothered me because I was like, dang, like, I really thought, of, I, I thought these people cared about me. Um, and they didn't, you know, so that, that really hurt. And I found myself alone. And uh yeah, I just promised myself I would never be that type of person again. Um
0: how did you get through it and how long did how it did take? How did I get through it? I yeah. watched
1: a lot of White Shadow. You remember that show? <laughs> I know. It was on ESPN and White Shadows, a basketball show. Okay. There's a white guy who uh coached some black kids. It was like in the seventies or some sixties, something like that. And I liked it. I watched it every day. It kinda kept me, you know, sane and uh Then I was able to work out in the pool, so that's what I did every day, just think about how can I make it to the next level. How is it possible to be
0: the best high school player in America Mm -hmm. when your graduating class only has 16
1: kids? I never thought about it that way. Um, I just wanted to enjoy my time, you know, enjoy that moment. Um, High school was a lot of fun. I was the school president or co-president. My classmates were were amazing, and we enjoyed ourselves. We basically grew up together, you know? So I didn't want the fact that I was going, or that my dream was to be going to the NBA, be the first pick, uh, and being the best player in the nation. I didn't want my teammates or my classmates, or anybody in my school to feel like I was cocky. So I literally never talked about it. I wanted to enjoy what we, what we had because uh, traveling, uh, being on the team that I was on, uh, we had the water boy, he was signing autographs. Our, our principal, <laughs> she was signing autographs. It was so cool. I was like, man, this is an amazing feeling. Like, this is great for our school. We got the smallest school in Georgia. We only got 16 people in my class. Like, this is what it's about right here.
0: At what point in your head did you establish that if you had the opportunity, you were going to skip college and go straight to oh, the NBA? Oh, when I was 10. Oh, when you were 10? <laughs> yeah. my really? dream,
1: My dream was to go to the NBA straight out of high school. I didn't really want to go to college. And what did your parents think of that? My mom wanted me to go. My dad said, pursue your dream. But my mom thought it would have been good to, for me to go to college. But I was like, Mom, you go to college to learn how to earn a living. This is me earning a living I think I think I've done pretty good with practice and stuff
0: did she come around as you got closer
1: nah she still wanted me to go to college and then I said listen ma I love you but I I want to go to the NBA and she understood but she said well are you going to go back I said yeah I'm gonna go back and visit all the colleges and tell them hey and thank you for uh sending me cards and want me to come to your school, I really appreciate it.
0: And UNC really gave you their their best well, that goal, was right?
1: That was the school I wanted to go to because they had a, a program for uh, acting. And I thought they were a really good basketball team, so I thought Roy I could do both. Yes, yes. Great guy, great coach. Took me to his house. He had like this old school Thunderbird that he thought that was the coldest car in the world. I'm like, this car ugly. <laughs> but I didn't say nothing. It was fun though. I I, uh, I had a I had a good time going to see some of the colleges that I did see, uh, but I felt like my mission and my my destiny is in the NBA.
0: In what ways would you say you were sheltered when you entered the NBA?
1: Well, c- coming from a school that's that only has 16 people, it's a lot of things we didn't know about. But just just life in general, you know, I it was my first time being on my own. You know, I think. Sometimes an advantage for people who go to college is that they get a chance to network they get a chance to make those mistakes and still be a, be a kid uh, but for me, it was a little bit different you know coming in at eighteen, going to the nBA now I'm playing with thirty year olds now I'm playing for a franchise you know where it's a little bit different when you have just the principal and stuff like that and your coach but now you have the GM, you got the president, you got the owner, you got all these fans and, you know, at first it was a little overwhelming, but I enjoyed it. I tried to embrace every moment that I had and, you know, even in every city, no matter how it ended, you know, I wanted to embrace all those moments. I mean, but how um, different Pre NBA was your
0: kind of sheltered existence relative to the I, I didn't this know anything. World I didn't know up.
1: anything. I, I didn't know nothing. Like like was, what
0: are examples of stuff uh, that just, you were all of a sudden exposed to?
1: Uh just like, you know, how to really take care of your money. Um, clubs. I never went to a club, uh, never had a chance to drink, like just little things that I was just learning. Uh, learning about, you know, that I didn't really know existed until I got to the NBA. Why did
0: your teammates who took you to a club for the first time vow to never take you
1: again? Well, they just, uh, we had a bad game, and I had one, and they just looked at me as, as the little bro. Like, we gotta take care of little bro. So, uh, we went out one night in Toronto, and I thought it was fun. I had been out, I was dancing, having a good time, and the next day I didn't have a, a good game and we got blown out. And they said, you're never going out again. You gotta stay locked in. So after that, I never really went out no more. No matter what team I was on, I would only go out a little bit because I felt like I did not want to let my teammates down or myself. Your dad said what he was most surprised by when you got to the league mm-hmm.
0: was like how polished people were in deception Um, and like that he tried to warn you uh, about that. Well, I think
1: everyone goes through it. You know, it's a situation where, you know, you don't know anything about money. You don't know how to spend. You know, you don't know any of that stuff. People were able to deceive me, Uh, but, you know, I had to actually sit back and learn, you know, things like, you know, financial literacy. So now I could teach my kids. What
0: do you think some of the things were that had you known uh, ahead of time it would have helped you through it?
1: You know, it's not a course or anything that we took as, as kids to learn about our money. So I would really love to help you know, teach kids and teach people in general, you know, how to be uh, self, uh, how, to, how to really just do things on their own. Uh, coming into a situation where you getting tons of money at 18, you don't know what to do with it. You know what I'm saying? So I I would want to turn that that not, I wouldn't say negative, but I guess it is kind of negative because I didn't know, but turn that into something positive by, you know, showing kids and showing even adults like, hey, it's never too late to learn, you know what I'm saying? So that's where I'm at with it. So, um, you know,
0: you're young, Uh, drafted first overall you come into all this uh, money you know people Mm -hmm. as you mentioned kind of have ulterior motives and I read you talked about I mean just what people that you thought were close to you were billing you for limos or Mm -hmm. uh, uh, plane time you later found out was extraordinary Um, Mm -hmm. what were ways in which you later learned stuff like that was going on
1: Ah uh, well, just really sitting back and paying attention. You know, a lot of times you have to get quiet. Uh, you have to get away from everybody, just to kind of take yourself out of the situation so you can see what's going on. And that's what I had to do. And what, did what, what did you like, see? What did you find um, out? Well, just people are just going to be people. You never know what people may need, you know? Um, and I think a lot of times people talk about how uh, you know, they've been taken advantage of and stuff like that. Uh, But for me, I just took myself out of the situation and just try to see it from the other person's uh, views. Why would they do this, you know? uh, Did they need this? There's something going on with them. You know, and I try to take it as I'm upset that they took from me because I was just the victim. You know, it could have been anybody, you know, but I was just that person at that moment that they decided you know, are, you know, things decided to happen from. So, and you're really like at that
0: moment when you recognize it, able to mm-hmm. take a step back, like you, that have, and to.
1: you have to, you have to know. One thing I learned is you can't allow your emotions. You know, like I said earlier, I'm, I, I like, I'm emotional when it comes to movies and stuff like that. But when it comes to business, when it comes to different things, you got to be able to take your emotions out of the picture, uh, in order to fulfill, uh, what your destiny. How do you go about,
0: addressing it with them and you don't have you know, to cut you don't them have to. out you
1: just you know when when you see how somebody is you just have to get them out your life and sometimes it takes many it takes many lessons you know I don't look at any situation that I've had in regret because look, these could be
0: like family or close friends it could friends be family
1: that, friends anybody I don't look at it in, that, in a negative way. It was something for me to learn out of each situation. Even if it was good or bad, you know, it was, it was a way for me to learn. You know, I don't see, I don't see it as a, as a loss. You know, I see it as something that I needed in order for me to get to the next level. If you had to guess,
0: how much do you think has been taken from you money-wise over the years?
1: Um, to be honest, you know, it's just material. It doesn't really matter. You know, how much was taken, who took it, how it was taken. Uh, because I'm in such a great place now, you know, maybe I needed that to get me to where I'm at today. You know, so I don't look at it in a bad uh, way. How so? Uh, because all of us go to go through different things in life in order for us to get to the next level. You know, uh, in basketball, for example. You know, if you win all the time, you never know what it feels like to lose. And so when some people lose, you see how they act. You look at fighters, for example, somebody who's never been knocked out. After they get knocked out, they're never the same because they've never had their chin checked. They've never had an issue. They've never had a problem. And now people know how to beat them. And until they solve that, they might end up going through it again. So um, there's issues that I've had that have been reoccurring. Like, like um, what? Uh, just, you know, just different things with people. Uh, but... I won't allow that to affect me in a negative way to where I won't talk to people or I still won't you know trust people. I just know, hey, you have to take control of everything that you do in your life. and if it's reoccurring, like what do you think you allowed to can, uh, just can you trust even happen? just just trust you know I think in the industry that we have, you know a lot of players tend to trust a lot of the wrong people because we don't know uh, because we don't have the the information. You know, um, and once we have it, it's a a choice on us to what we're going to do with it. Uh, But for somebody that came into the league at 18, despite everything that has happened, I think that I put myself in a pretty good position, you know, um, despite all the things that anybody could say. I have no regrets. Uh, Every lesson that I needed uh, was for me and only me. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh just the, 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 the growth that you know I've been having. I just I'm looking forward to more. I, I wanna try to grow my model now is try to win every day. All right, wait,
0: I gotta ask this. Mm-hmm. What did your dad
1: say mm-hmm. when all this was going on? He just wants to make sure that, you know, everything is on point. Uh but at some point, you know, we all have to go away from the litter. And as much as I love my parents, you know, I have my own life and my own family that, you know, I have to lead, you know, and my dad is always gonna be there. Uh, But for me, uh, I'm in a different place in my life. And uh, I have, I always, you know, will listen to my dad, you know, but when it comes to certain things, um, I think pretty much now, you know, I've gotten a, I've gotten a hold of it. How did the idea come about to get into film and media. I've always wanted to, you know, I love acting. I don't have a problem being in front of a camera. I'm not nervous or shy. Uh, So it was just like natural for me. You know, I love movies. Um, Take my kids to the movies a lot. After each movie, I would go in the mirror and practice my favorite actor and what they did and what they said and try to implement that kind of like what I did with basketball. And that's how I I wanted to get in the industry. I love acting. I've done some things with Disney. I love voiceovers. Uh, One of my favorite shows that I did was called Kick Batowski. I was a cartoon character. My name was Rock Callahan. And I was kind of like the superhero for uh, Kick. And uh, it was was pretty cool. I I enjoy that stuff. I enjoy inspiring in any way I can. What sort of stuff like that would you like to do more of? Oh, man, I want to be like uh my favorite actor D- Dwayne Johnson he's my f- my he's my favorite person I, I, I he's like my my role model Dwayne Johnson the rock w- what do you like about him just he he has a range now he he can he can be the tough bully uh cop he could be a bad guy a funny bad guy he could be a dad uh just the range that he has had over the years i've seen him grow um And I like that. You know, he went from one field of entertainment, killed it. He had the eye, I still can't do the eye, Uh, but he had an awesome, he did, he was an amazing, uh, he was amazing in wrestling. Decided to leave. Now he's one of the highest paid actors in the industry. And are there steps you're taking now to try and set yourself up for that? Yes, acting classes, Just really just trying to get in on the production side so I can learn. I like to write as far as write plays and and stuff like that. So uh, I I just want to expand on that. You know, I feel like as a professional athlete, you know, uh, they try to just put us in a box. You play basketball, this is all you can do. You Play football, this is all you can do. That's not true. You know, and I won't allow myself to, Fall in that category. A couple of projects I wanted to ask you about, Percy. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: to tell me about that one.
1: Uh, well, just to have a guy like Christopher Walken uh, on a on the movie is like is like crazy. That's the first thing. But to just produce a movie like this is like a dream come true, you know. And I'm super excited to be a part of the production company, the production team. And I can't wait to see a movie that I produce in theaters. I think that that's that's cool. As much as I go to the to the movies, just to sit back and watch the credits and see my name, you know, that's like that's like an honor. How did it get presented to you? Because you you
0: made an investment in, I in did. the movie. Yes, like what? I made an
1: investment with uh, first with the the production company. Um, me and uh, my partner, we have a production company. And uh, when we were asked about, you know, being a part of the film, uh, we t- was no hesitation, you know, mainly because of the connection with Chris, Christopher. And uh, it, was, it was like a no-brainer, it was a no-brainer.
0: When being presented this, how do you determine like this is a risk worth taking?
1: I was told one day, uh, I was meeting with people from Disney and uh, they told me that the guy who, well, the guy who made Walt Disney, He said that there's great risk, great reward. And I always use that motto for everything. You know, uh, if you want something great, you have to risk a lot to get it. Uh, I want to try to take that same approach and just stay positive. Your goals with the uh, production company long-term would be what? Uh, As far as uh, the production company, I look at a guy like Tyler Perry. And you said you have somebody like him on your team. Like Tyler Perry, yes. Uh, well, Kellen is, is similar to Tyler Perry. That's my business partner uh, when it comes to the production company. So he is kind of like the, the young version of Will Packer. And Tyler Perry is somebody that's been in Atlanta. I've watched how he took Diary of a Mad Black Woman from the play to the big screen until now he's making... Movies in 14 days and that's like his motto. I gotta make make a movie in 14 days, so um, He is like one of my role models as far as the production side, so you got Dwayne Johnson and Tyler Perry is like It's perfect.
0: What do you think the biggest misconception is that people have of you?
1: Well, I think it's a lot of them one that I don't really take the game serious very immature uh jokes too much just just a lot of things that i've heard and uh the one thing that i really hated was just hearing people say i was a cancer in the locker room or i'm not good to have around teammates that that really uh it really it really affected me for a while how did it affect you because it's not me you know i just would think like how could somebody who's won community assist awards, be told by everybody that you have a great character, you're people person, but all of a sudden bad in the locker room. It's just like it doesn't go together. You know, so that 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 really got me. You know, one year I got teammate of the year. And then the same summer, like he's a bad teammate. And so I'm like, this does not add up. There's no way somebody could be the teammate of the year, but a bad teammate. You know, so it was like, where is this stuff coming from? And it really had me in a place where it was like, man, this is this is not me. But it had me so upset where, you know, I really didn't want to, you know, be around just people in general because I'm like, man, they're going to think I'm a bad person, so I might as well just hide. But Really? Yeah, I didn't like it. Well, Like, were you depressed? I wouldn't say I was depressed, uh, but I just didn't like the fact that my character and, you know, was being... Question, you know, who I am as a teammate was being questioned by people who've never been in a locker room.
0: Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say because I'm about as far removed from the NBA mm-hmm. as one can get, so I only know what I read in our research packet But you read media stories, which you never know if it's true if or not, it's true or not Correct. but like teammates cheering when you get traded. Um, you know, when you read stuff like that, mm-hmm. like how does it uh, make you feel? Well, I just or do you just think, like, that's BS? That you I think. did,
1: and I was just trying to figure out what person would do that because I was really cool with my teammates. You know, I've never been a bad teammate. I've never been that guy. Like like I said, there's no way somebody could be the community assist player of the year in the community and be a bad teammate. That just doesn't go together, you know what I'm saying? So. Uh, that really affected me. So, you know, I want to just change that, that whole narrative. I want to run through a handful of uh, players'
0: mm-hmm. instances and then kind of what you learned from it uh, looking back. The the mm-hmm. first one is actually a game, but it has to do with Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lakers-Celtics, February 2013 game in Boston.
1: We lost that game, I think. I think I just got back from, uh, it was my first game back from tearing my labor. Uh, that was a very tough game. Uh, for one, you know, looking back on it, I shouldn't have played. But I think I allowed what was being said in the media, you know, and the whole circus around that season affect my judgment, you know. Um, playing with a torn labrum is no joke. Um, there's a lot of guys who have surgeries. Uh, they miss a whole season. And I, I played every game except Six with a torn lay room and uh, I remember that day like it was yesterday um, what about it just the whole day was crazy um, just seeing, you know what the media was saying and you did you ask Kobe about your injury just just little things and I'm like this doesn't this doesn't add up it's like somebody's trying to sell a story that's not true um, so it did affect me at the time I think uh, that game was really harsh on me because uh, I wasn't really ready. But I wanted to shut people up. And How much did his comments bother you? I don't think it was more so his comments. I think it was more so just all the tension that, that came with me getting hurt. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and at the time, you know, I was upset that he would do that because I would expect, you know, him to, you know, just protect, you know, his teammate
0: uh but and he basically said publicly that you should be playing through the injury
1: oh yeah he did um but it's okay uh everything happens for a reason you know i needed that lesson i needed to learn something from it uh to develop thicker skin why do you think when you first came to the lakers
0: people were telling you like you need to know kobe still wants to be the star
1: i don't know I, i guess they felt like I wanted to come and do whatever to the team. Uh, but for me, I wanted to learn from all the guys who came before me. I was looking forward to playing with Kobe, playing with Powell, playing with Antoine and Steve Nash, because I wanted to soak up as much knowledge as I can from those guys because they played in the league longer than me. And I knew that Kobe was one of those players that's about to transition out of the NBA. So it's like, man, I could learn a lot from this guy and I want to be that guy. You know, when he leaves, I want him to be able to say, Dwight, here, you know, take over. You know, and that's all I wanted. You know, I just wanted to learn, you know, soak up as much knowledge as possible. That way, when it's my time, I can get that knowledge to somebody else.
0: And then he comes out much later on, makes some comment about how, you know, Dwight's uncomfortable being around people who w- want to win. W- why do you think it didn't
1: work out the way you wanted uh, I just think injuries. Um... Injuries can can make or break a team. You know, when when somebody gets injured or when multiple guys get injured, the morale of the team just drops. And I think that's just what happened. You know, then you you add the 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 circus of playing for uh, the world's most famous team. Uh, you add that part in. You know, and the fact that we weren't winning like everybody expected. You know, it was just it was just a crazy it was just crazy from that standpoint. But overall, man, I, I enjoyed playing in LA. I enjoyed playing in the Staples Center. I thought the fans were really good. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, I remember hitting a 3-1 game and the crowd going crazy. And I just ran out of court like, ah, hit a three, and they was just going crazy. So I enjoyed my time there. Uh, and I enjoyed going back when, you know, teen, when they boo me and stuff like that. You know, I enjoy it. I do. Uh, it doesn't, it's not like, you know, I, I don't take it as something bad, but, you what know. What about I, that first
0: time when you were playing against him again? It was he no problem. He had some problem. choice words.
1: He did, uh, but, you know, I understand, like, what his mission probably would be. That's just to get in my head. And at the time, I allowed him to. Oh, and did I had you? to learn from that lesson. Yeah, not, you know, just allow all that stuff to roll off your back. Just just keep going. You know, you know the punches have come. You know people going to say this and that to try to affect what you are doing on the court. And at that time, I did allow it to affect, uh, affect me. And uh, I'm a lot better now.
0: And how do you get in a place where you're able to more comfortably um, you just gotta, you take just, it or you let stuff gotta, rile you up?
1: Like I said, you got to take the emotions out of it and, and look at it for what it is. This is my will. This is my destiny. Nothing else matters, no matter what you say, what, what he says, what anybody says, you know, you just have to be who you want to be and live that way and play that way and not not allow somebody's projection, what they're projecting on you to affect who you are.
0: Stan Van Gundy, mm-hmm. uh, the interview, mm-hmm. um, take me through what you recall from that moment.
1: Oh man, it just felt, it felt weird that, you know, uh, that whole day, wake up, go to practice, come out, you know, shoot around. And as I'm walking out, about to go to my car, they like, hey, Stan's over there talking. You should, uh, one of the reporters, Brian Smith, she says, uh, Stan, you should go over there and give Stan a hug and let everybody know y'all are cool. And I'm like, cool. I don't have no problem with Stan, so I go over there and do it. And then he he walks away real fast. And then they asked me, hey, you want to stay on fire? And I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. Why would they do this? And that day just, <clears throat> it was crazy that day. I didn't. I couldn't sleep before the game. I had one of the worst games in my career against the New York Knicks. i never forget it. I got booed in Orlando the whole game, and it didn't feel good. Uh, but I said, you know what? Even back then, I told myself, you gotta survive the lies. That's all you gotta do.
0: And he had, at the time, just told the media that he learned from management mm-hmm. that you wanted him gone. Yeah, um, it was, it
1: was, it was, it was kind of crazy that, that that happened that way, because uh, I never said that to the management. Um, I told the management alone, hey, I would like to get traded. I just want to start over. I feel like I'm too comfortable here in Orlando. I have everything I want. This is great. I'm happy. I'm thankful. But I want to grow up. I've been here forever. And it was nothing against Stan. It was nothing against anybody on my team, because the two first people I called was the GM and Jameer Nelson, favorite teammate. I told him, hey, I love you. I just want to go change for my life. To what extent do you
0: ever, want? you've said a million times, you always get the question, you wish you would have stayed in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent, though, do you ever wonder um, how it would have
1: played out had you stayed in Orlando? I don't. I don't look back at it. Because I think that that, that would that, that would be a problem uh, to continue to look backwards and you're trying to move forward. Uh, that's why rear view mirrors are this big. And the other mirrors, the other window is really big because you're supposed to keep looking forward. Um, So I don't regret it, you know? Uh, If I stayed in Orlando, maybe I don't have my five beautiful kids that I got. Maybe I don't have this house that we're doing the interview in. You know what I'm saying? So I don't regret or look back at any of the things that I did because it was all a part of the plan that led me to this moment today. And
0: I mean, I was before the interview, I was counting up the number of teams that Mm -hmm. um, you've been to since then. And I mean, you've moved around uh, a, a lot, I think, how hard has that movement just been on you personally?
1: Uh, just moving from city to city that's that's tough, you know what I'm saying, but the toughest part was just is just trying to outlive lies. you know the, that's the part you know. I can stay in any city. just give me a bed and a basketball. And you've mentioned that a few times now, outlive the lies. Um, it gets to you. It doesn't get to me now, but it has affected, you know, uh, how teams view me. It has affected how people view me and even companies, franchises. Uh, So for me, it's just, like I said, outliving a lie. Why do you think it's affected how teams view you? Well, because people have said things and, you know, it's gotten back to the media or just whatever it may be, it's just made teams feel like we don't need that problem. And I'm not a problem but this is something that has been said. And now I have to outlive that, you know what I'm saying? Because the truth always will set people free, but people are afraid of it.
0: Uh, partying. I want to read a quote you gave a, a couple of years back when just kind of reflecting on that. Mm-hmm. You said, quote, you're young, you're on TV, and all these beautiful women are coming up to you. There's no comparison. But at the time, I felt like a kid who's never had candy in his whole life and suddenly is given all the candy he could ever want. If you're still just a kid, which I was, you're like, give me more. It became an issue. Mm -hmm. How so?
1: Well, I just think uh, anybody who, you, if you would've came into the NBA at 18 and you was able to see the world that we see, this fantasy world that we see, big houses, big cars, beautiful everything, I mean, as an 18-year-old kid that's never seen nothing that came from a situation where you never have anything, of course, you're going to want more and more and more. But sometimes less is more. And that's a lesson that all of us have to go through at some point in our life. Mine just didn't come when everybody else's came. Or for me, my whole life and all our entertainers, athletes, whatever, our lives, everything that we do is being seen by the world. So like our mistakes, we people watch us grow up so they see the mistakes we make and we get judged for it, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I mean, I don't think it's nothing I could do but just continue to be who I am. Back then, you know, I thought different. That's just everybody. The way you probably thought yesterday is probably different from today. Oh, I mean, if you, no 18 year old should be given a ton
0: of fame and a ton of money regardless of the background. Well, we can't the, say the that. We can't say or, that. I just no, I mean, it's just like you're, you're bound to make decisions. Well, I just think that that you 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 have
1: to think, think about it on any level. Just if you're five and you went into a candy store and they say you can have as much Snickers as you want, what are you going to do? You're going to eat one? You know you're not. You're going to go get get as many Snickers as you can because you've never had it, but you never had this type of experience. So, you know, for people to judge somebody or any of us who are entertainers or sports, whatever it may be, for a decision that we made, you know what I'm saying? it could have been an ignorant, for us, it's, it could have been ignorance. We didn't know. So, so what was the thinking then, back then when it pertained to dating or women? Um, I'm young. I've never experienced none of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's part of my growth. It made me who I am today. It made me want to be the man that I am today.
0: You said in the quote, there was an issue like was, what what happened that made you realize, I need well, to change my ways?
1: Well, I wouldn't say it was an issue. I just think that the way I thought back then, I probably looked at it as an issue, but I don't see it as an issue now. I think it was just a part of the growth that I needed to go through. Um, like I said, all of us go through it, but for NBA players, entertainers, rappers, it's a fantasy world. This, it's like a fantasy. So. You know, if you're somebody that's never had this type of fantasy, it's like your eyes are wide open now. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. And I'm pretty sure everybody would make a mistake if they had the opportunities that we would have. And, you know, at some point, you, you have to learn from them.
0: Why did the first time you had a child make you feel like your faith was challenged?
1: Uh, because that's how we were raised just the things that can come with, you know, not being married and having a child with somebody. There's things that you never had a kid before, you wouldn't know. And after you have one or two or three, then you kinda, you kinda understand certain things.
0: You have five kids. Um, uh, f- five, you know, different partners. Mm-hmm. How challenging is it to create the same family environment that you enjoyed growing up?
1: Uh, actually, when my kids are here, you know, they get that environment, you know what I'm saying? They get that family, get that whatever they would need from their father. I try to be that for them. Not knowing how to raise a kid and trying to learn on the fly uh, was something I think when people talk about not having kids before you get married. Or are you ready? I think that that part is something that I want to really instill with my kids. You know, make sure that you are established. Make sure you love yourself. Make sure you're responsible for your actions before you bring another child into the world. You know, so that's something that I didn't know at a young age, but um, I'm glad I did, you know, despite five five moms and stuff like that. I'm glad that I have my five children. They're the best thing that happened to me. What's the crash course in parenting that that requires? I mean, every day you learn something new, you know. For me, uh it's 10 personalities that I'm dealing with. I have what do you mean? five five kids, so their personalities and not dealing with but their moms as well. Uh so it's just learning, you know, how to uh co-parent also being a, a serious relationship, and you know, just it's it's, it's it, it can be difficult at times. But for me, it's just every day, like I said, try to win the day, try to learn how to be a better father, um, even a better co-parent. You know, which can be tough because, I mean, I never had kids before this, so you know, I didn't know what to do. And, and how do you create for a positive dynamic with
0: the other parent?
1: Uh. One is is communication, and it can be hard at times because um, it's two ways you can look at it. From the mother's point of view, they carried this child for eight, nine months. Um, They feel like this is theirs, you know? So just trying to balance that part. It's our kid, and this is how we should try to handle this. But um, that's something that, you know, We're all still in the process of learning. It's not something that's easy. If somebody just had one kid, that's their experience, so they're learning on the fly how to raise that child. What would you say is the best part of fatherhood? Every part is the best part, Even even when things might not go right. It's just having, like, seeing that kid face, you know what I'm saying, just the smile, the hugs, the I love you, daddy, like, that's like, that's like amazing, just for your, for your daughter, or your son, just to say I love you, Dad. Like that's that's bigger than life. It's better than me dunking the ball a million times on somebody or blocking a shot or ah doing all that. Just having my my daughter give me a hug and say I love you. That that's like, the world. How do you think you've grown through parenthood? Just being more understanding, and realizing that you know. Uh, my kids, they're learning themselves. And um, the fact that I have five kids, you know, it's just like, it's different personalities. So I have to really uh, reach each kid where they're at, you know, and that's sometimes for me, playing with, you know, being around grown men and stuff like that, I have to go back and really just show my kids. And, you know, sometimes that can be a little difficult. Would you have any more? Yes, no doubt. How many more? Well, when I get married, as many as my wife wants. It's a big family. It is a big family, but we gotta bring family back. Family is important in our culture and our society, so I wanna help be the catalyst for, you know, having strong family values. You know, you look at the different cultures that we see overseas, uh, their, their tradition that they have in their families is just something that would be great to have over here in America. And I think that we have to, you know, one, fathers, uh, for myself, I speak for myself, just step up, you know what I'm saying, and just be, that bring that family atmosphere back, that family uh, ties, love, all that stuff. Bring it back, the purpose, all that. Explain the role confidence plays in your life. Confidence, man. Uh, it's been and, a pretty it, big word to you. It's a very big word. Um, I think it should be a big word for everybody. I think uh, we all struggle with, with some, something in life where we're not confident in. And once we understand, like I said, how powerful we are, how powerful our minds are, then there shouldn't be nothing that we can't accomplish. You know, and I think you've got to have that confidence. And we can even take it back to what the scriptures in the Bible say. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. So you've got to have confidence in who you are. The person inside you is greater than anything else in what ways do you think you've struggled with confidence over the years? Not realizing that. That it all starts in my head. And uh, it it really can take a while, you know, for for a lot of people to understand that. And once I did, it just made me more of a confident, uh, just a, a man, just more confident in who I am and not worried about the losses or the things that have happened before not allowing my ego to drive how I live my life. I think um, that's where my confidence comes from. How
0: much did that at the time, or lack of confidence play into why you would occasionally call friends at halftime asking about your I just play? did that in general. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I, my, me and my girl, we both do it. We text each other, you know what I'm saying? Hey, what you think about this? How did I look here? You know, it's just, you want to make sure that when you're playing, you're you being great, you know what I'm saying? You're doing everything good, you know. So you always want to have people that you can just talk to and, hey, just hold me accountable. You know, so that's kind of what it is.
0: W- when was your confidence the least and how much has it grown since then?
1: I would say my confidence was shook after I left L.A. and got to Houston. Um, just because of all the things that were going on. Uh, it started, I had super high confidence in Orlando. Uh, with a lot of things that happened, I started to lose confidence in myself and my, my personality. I lost all type of confidence. I didn't want to smile no more. I you know, all that stuff was starting to happen. Um, and in Houston, um, confidence was just going down. I was watching YouTube videos of myself like, dang, I was nice. Like, where, who is he? But then, I mean, you're like one of the best players in the league. You're Right, and so I should, should have never been that way. Uh, but it was a phase that, you know, I think a lot of players uh, go through, where you feel like you're not, you're not good enough. And, you know, you really gotta get along and, and find that spark again. Why didn't you think you were good enough? Just the different situations that was happening, the stuff that was being said. I'm a bad teammate. I'm a cancer. I just, all that stuff started to weigh in on me. So how do you rebound did I, from that? How did I rebound and, from and it? And build
0: the confidence and regain it? My ego. <laughs> just
1: let it go. I mean, you still had an ego then. Yeah, and I didn't let it go. So I wasn't able to be as as confident. How do you let it go? It has to die, every day. (laughs) I, I don't understand, what do you mean? I'll give you an example. In order for you to live a healthy life, you can't eat no more Snickers. You gotta fight that feeling every day. This is the same thing with your ego. You gotta fight yourself every day, the self that's telling you to do this, do that, or eat Snickers, or whatever, you have to die to that person every day. And that's a struggle for everybody, not just basketball players, but people in general. It's something that we all have to die to every day in order for us to win that day or, or be successful. So what
0: does the ego tell you to do that you'll refrain from doing?
1: Well, no, it's just every day I have to die to my old self, the, the, the my thought process, the food that I used to eat, the way I, you know, like I said, the way I thought, you know, you have to, kill that you have to if I want to move forward if I want to be this man this person then all that other stuff has to go it, out and the window. was there a thinking that would get you in trouble being 18 being able to have anything you want yeah. it's hard to let stuff go and uh, I think once I was able to let all that stuff go and realize that The only thing that matters is the moment that I'm in right now. All the stuff that I have is great, and I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful, but it happened. It's over with, and I have to try to win the day that I'm in now. That moment, just that's the only thing that matters. All right, so explain the smile. The smile? Uh, Well, I was always taught to smile and never let nobody see you hurt. So. Then I just fell in love with smiling. I had a teacher in high school, not high school, but middle school. She was really fine. Her name was Miss Austin. She was (laughs) super fine. And uh, I was about to get braces. And I was like, I don't think I want to get braces because I'm going to look ugly. And she was like, boy, don't you know, after you had them braces off, yo, you're going to have the best smile in the world. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I was like, oh, okay, I wore braces until I went to the NBA. I kept those braces. I wanted my teeth to be really straight. After that, so yeah, I, I love to smile, um, and it's good for your body. And didn't your dad tell you to stop
0: smiling he once did. only to later correct himself? He
1: did. Um, one season, um, was, I think I was, I think I was about 12 years old, and uh, I would always be smiling on the court because people were trying to get me off my game. And I'm like, they can't, like, you can't stop me, you can't beat me, I'm just gonna smile and have fun. And he said I was smiling too much. And I said, how am I smiling too much? Like, I love what I'm doing. Like, this is my, this is my piece, this is the only thing I got. Like, why can't I have fun doing it? And he said, you need to take it serious. I'm like, I am taking it serious. I just, I'm having fun. Like, this is actually fun, going out there, shaking people. You know what I'm saying? Crossing people up. All that stuff was fun to me. And then um, I tried it his way one game where I didn't smile, didn't have fun. And I played one of the worst games of my life. And then he came back and said, You know what? You need to smile. It looks better on you. What are your philanthropy goals? Changing the world. That's my goal. That sounds unambitious. What do you mean? I'm kidding. I no, I just want to change people. the world, not just change people's thought process from from inside out. I think a lot of the people that I've met, um, we're afraid to be who we are. You know, we're afraid to just be because of we're afraid of what people are going to say about us. We're afraid of how they're going to look at us. Uh, we're just afraid. And there's no need to be. You know what I'm saying? So I want to be able to you know, help people just see like you don't have to hide whatever you what whatever it is. Just be who you are. Like you don't have to justify it to nobody. You don't have to explain why you like this. Just be who you are and enjoy who you are. Cause you only get you only die once. You live every day. So why are you worried about what everybody is saying about you? Just just live. Just be doing events. And you know, just having kids or adults or whatever it is, just say thank you, and that they really appreciate it. um I think time is more important spending time with people is more important than any monetary gift you could give, you know, especially in charity um even though it's good uh but just spending time I think that's it's it's a lot of times it's underrated, you know what I'm saying you can learn so much. You can get so much accomplished by just spending time with the people that you're trying to give back to what do you want your legacy to be he did what he said he was gonna do that's it thank you
0: very much you're welcome if you're interested in more from our time with dwight howard he gave me a tour of his estate and that clips racked up nearly six million views on our youtube channel which you can find at youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. His house has five kitchens, 20 HVAC units, and he busts out a really strong shack impression along the way. And if you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, you can offer us some constructive criticism. Please consider sharing your thoughts within a podcast review. My team and I welcome the feedback. Thanks for listening.